about the show Barry on HBO. I feel like you can hear that we are smiling. Yeah, and I'm not sure why we are, because (laughs) (laughs) this is the season finale of season one. The bummer train is making a stop at at chapter eight, Know Your Truth. (laughs) Yeah, Know Your Truth. Does that get, does this, the title of this episode actually get said in the episode? Because... So far, we've Gene has said the titles of every episode, but I don't actually don't recall if he says this or not. I also don't remember. Let's crowdsource it. Internet, (laughs) will you help us? Yeah, we're not going to waste our time researching things for this podcast. (laughs) Which, by the way, is like a pet peeve of mine when people don't actually do the work behind the thing that they're talking about. Yeah. Yep. Really annoying. I mean, like, I feel like some of our research is organic, as in, like, we're already obsessed with it, so we've already <laughs> Googled so much. But then, like, we're, we actually do structured research, because Jamie Lynn is a very organized and conscientious person. <laughs> Which is a way to say I'm type A. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, the stick is so far up her ass. <laughs> it's amazing. I'm just saying that if I were responsible for helping us prepare, um... No, we we just wouldn't be prepared ever. <laughs> well, I, that is that is my truth. Although, sidebar, I was watching the um, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills reunion today, and oh, nice. one of the cast members, Crystal, says like, "That is my truth." And <laughs> Kyle, the other cast member, goes, "Well, your truth isn't true." <laughs> That's so good. And I was like. Huh, can you just say that to people? That's amazing. I'm going to do that. So maybe knowing your truth doesn't mean it's true. Yep. I don't know. That's actually kind of deep. I know. (laughs) Housewives is very deep. It's very profound. It's way existential. (laughs) (laughs) So episode eight, Know Your Truth. This is the season ender for season one. Mm -hmm. Um, This officially wraps up season one of the show and our podcast. Um, this was directed by Alec Berg and written by Alec Berg and Bill Hader. And produced by Alec Berg and Bill Hader. <laughs> <laughs> they were probably, like, a little busy here. <laughs> I kind of, um, because they have, like, short names, I kind of want to, like, do little anagrams of all the letters of their names and see Ooh. if we can come up with... That would be cool. That's just something I'm going to do. Just anagram maker. (laughs) Fiddling around while I'm watching TV. (laughs) But I don't know. This is really like a bittersweet because it's been a really great first season. Like a really great first season of a show. Do you remember? So strong. Do you remember like 20 years ago? Shows would just stink for like two whole seasons before anybody cared about them. And it was like normal for people to be like, you have to let it find its like footing. Yeah. And this show, like, from the get-go, had his feet underneath it. I feel like the the bar is so high now, but, like, yeah. this show clears it handily. Yes. Yeah. Well said. So should we get into the synopsis? Let's do it. All right. So Barry visits Fuchs at his hotel room. This, I love this so much. So we open on Fuchs. He's still sitting in the chair where we saw him last speaking to Hank mm-hmm. when they were reminiscing about Barry. Um, and Fuchs was so concerned that Barry was never going to get to apologize to him. For what? <laughs> Who the fuck knows? So Barry comes in. Fuchs is super relieved. But Barry grabs a suitcase and starts taking out his money. And then Fuchs immediately is like, that's your money. That's our money, you know, <laughs> and B- Barry punches him in the face, which is so satisfying. Truly. And then yep. Fuchs won't quit running his mouth, so Barry punches him in the face again, and it's like, <laughs> wow, you thought it couldn't get any better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyway, but Barry's like, I'm done with this starting now, and leaves. Yes. So Fuchs is pissed off because... He, he just rode this roller coaster from, like, thinking Barry's dead and, like, the money train has left the station. <laughs> and then Barry walks back into the door and he's relieved, mainly because Hank has warned him that Goron is going to kill Fuchs. And so Fuchs immediately is like, Barry will protect me from the Chechens. You know, <laughs> Barry's here. And then Barry just, like, punches him in the face twice and takes the money and leaves. <laughs> 
So it just went like, you know, zip, zap, zip, zap, zip. (laughs) (laughs) And Fuchs is pissed. So he goes to Goran's house and basically says like, you know, I'm here. I can give you Barry. Um, Like, just don't kill me. Oh, he turned so fast. Did he even turn? He was always just a slimy little slime ball. That is a good question. Yeah. So in another twist, though, (laughs) Goron brings out Ruslan, who is Vasha's twin brother. (laughs) (laughs) And this was so funny because they basically just like drew a little mustache on him (laughs) and cut the sleeves off of his shirt. It was like, it's a different guy. Um, (laughs) We promise. It was some real like Looney Tunes (laughs) level (laughs) disguisery. But anyway, he brings out Ruslan, and they tie Fuchs to a chair, and he's just like, well, you already told me Barry's alive, and I know where he's going to be, acting class. And Fuchs <laughs> is like, oh, shit. <laughs> you yeah. know about that, huh? So they tie him to a chair, and Goron's like, you know, here, have a skill saw, go to town, just cut him up in manageable pieces. Now, realizing, though, that Goron is going to go after Barry, Hank texts Barry and then calls him, and basically says, like, Goron's coming you're probably not going to see Fuchs again. Mm-hmm. And Barry gets the call while he's on the beach, which may be significant later down the line. But we we still see him sort of in this shell-shocked state where we left mm-hmm. him last episode. But we, we see Barry basically get up and leave the beach. We don't know what he's going to do, where he's headed, what he's thinking. Yeah. Meanwhile, Detective Moss, because they found that copy of Gene's book... At Taylor's apartment, with Ryan Madison's name written mm-hmm. in it, <laughs> they end up getting a warrant to arrest Goran Pizar. They've got Pizar. <laughs> <laughs> well, do they? Do they? So, um, Pizar comes back to check in on Ruslan's reindeer games and <laughs> finds out that instead of killing Fuchs... <laughs> He has undertaken a arson crafts project. <laughs> um, he found plans in a woodworking magazine mm-hmm. for, like, stocks. Like I love where he's, like, they don't caption the part where he's describing <laughs> to Goron, like, what he would actually do. Like, they drop the captioning on that part, which makes it even funnier. It's so good. He's, like, miming it, and everybody's like, no, we get it, but it's stupid. Like, it's a waste of time. Like, we need him dead. Yeah. <laughs> so, I guess this was, like, you know, supposed to be, like, uh adding a little bit of pizzazz to um, his murder of Fuchs. Anywho, Barry um, shows up just in the nick of time, like he tends to do, kills Pizar through the window, and then gets Fuchs and absconds. He and Fuchs head to the airport, despite Fuchs's protests, and Barry's like, here, just take all the fucking money, leave the city, and he's like, I'm gonna stay here. And he's he's done with Fuchs, he's done with a life of crime, he's not gonna be him anymore. Starting now. Starting now. Meanwhile, Hank and all of these other living henchmen show up at the house, and Pizar is dead. Uh, I think uh, Ruslan's dead too, right? They're all dead. Everybody's dead. He killed them all. R.I.P. Everybody in the garage except Fuchs. Yeah, yeah. our body count is going to be ooh, high. So Hank has this. Uh, we'll put a pin in this and talk about it later. But when he realizes they're all dead, his smile says so much Mm -hmm. and yeah i'll put a pin in that basically at this point he's uh hanging his figure out what he's gonna do the bolivians are descending and he decides all right i'm just gonna go with them you can't beat him join them and he's already intrigued by cristobal and then they have a press conference the lapd is publicly saying where they are with the case so great they it's got like a real scooby-doo like explaining <laughs> the how everything went down energy and it, to be fair the dots connect in a way that yeah you can't really blame them yeah for biting off on it but it's just so funny to see them blame, like, to say that Ryan, Richard Krempf, <laughs> a.k.a. Ryan Madison, and Taylor Garrett are the masterminds pitting yes. the Chechens against the Bolivians. Genius. Like, literally, the, yes, that is a beautiful irony <laughs> to them being masterminds of anything. Yeah, so the, they, like, reveal everything in this press conference, um, and Taylor's name is out there, Ryan's name is out there, Richard's name... And they are understood to be case closed. Mm-hmm. 
So we see Barry heading to residuals, and he, you know, the class is kind of gathered there, and they're watching the press conference. And in a really poignant moment, the bartender takes down the plaque that they had put up for Ryan when they had his memorial there. Oh, that hurts. Mm. Because, you know, we as the audience know the truth of the situation. But Barry basically tells Sally he's quitting the class. And we don't really know what Barry's plan is at this point. Yeah. Like, what he has decided to do. Like, he's, you know, he at first he took the money and said, I'm quitting. But then he went back and got Fuchs. And then he gave Fuchs the money and dropped him at the airport and said, I'm done. And he stayed in L.A. So you think, oh, maybe he's going to try and make a go yeah. with acting. And then he said he's not going to do the class. So. so we don't know what he's doing. Yeah. But anyway, Sally convinces him to stay. And I do I want to put a pin in this scene yes. as well. We're just so many pins. We're just yeah, pins all just like, because this the this scene was really interesting to me, but she convinces him to stay and asks him if he's ever heard of this play called The Front Page and she wants them to do it together. And he's just like floored by that and you know, we can see that he's into that idea. It kind of cuts away. We fade back into this idyllic lake house scene um we don't know how much time has passed right but some amount of time has passed because they've been rehearsing there's a poster for the play it's opening soon so obviously some time has gone by and you know barry and sally seem really settled into their relationship and they're also close with gene they're staying at his lake house with him and janice and you know janice comes in she arrives after everyone else does and sees the poster mock-up in the living room and says like oh you know this looks great um barry block and he's like yeah that's my stage name block sounds better than berkman which we've had that whole conversation yeah (laughs) so they have you know everything is going really well and then during dinner and we can talk about this more in depth but gene starts telling janice and sally about the time that barry gave him a monologue in the parking lot and that's Mm -hmm. when he knew barry had talent we all know what that monologue entailed. That was yep. when he basically confessed that he was a hitman. And Janice plays that scene completely flat, mm-hmm. but we know that she picks up on everything. So that night, Moss goes outside, uh, grabs her computer, takes it with her, and looks up Barry Stone for a little investigation, finds him on Facebook, sees that he's connected with Chris, and that Chris was connected with Taylor. Yeah. She's connecting the dots she remembers <laughs> the thumb with uh was a thumb with arms yeah <laughs> on the um lipstick camera and remembers oh he's got to be taller than six feet she puts the pieces together and decides yep barry's a hitman barry comes up and knows that he's found out and immediately starts trying to reason with her he thinks that he can you know bring her around to his side help her understand him as a good guy and they both have had to shoot people. Like, she just, a couple episodes, yeah. shot Basha. Like, yep. you know, they both have to kill bad guys. And Moss is steadfast in her in her values and her belief. Nope, we are not the same. So she ignores Barry. He goes over to Tree, where there's a silencer. And then shots are fired. After shots are fired, and we don't exactly know what's happening, but uh, Barry goes back to the room and Sally is asleep, and he gets in bed, and he tells himself, okay, starting now, he's going to be a good guy. Okay, I'm going to start this episode discussion with something a little technical. For the last, like, couple episodes, I've been sort of paying more attention to the structure Mm. of the episode, kind of just because I noticed that these episodes are so efficient. They're so economical with like every scene, every word. It's really impressive. And so I started kind of, as I'm going through the episode and laying out my notes, sort of noticing how many different scenes are set up. Mm. So for instance, in episode seven, and these episodes are 33 minutes, roughly. Yeah. In episode seven, I counted 18 different scenes. Wow, yeah. That yep. is insane. And for episode eight, this is our season finale episode, which clocked in at about 32 minutes, we have 20 scenes. Mm-hmm. That is crazy. <laughs> 
one of the things I was really impressed with was how they used the press conference. Mm-hmm. So the press conference actually bridges like four different scenes. It's really cool. So when they start the press conference, you know, laying out that Taylor and Ryan are the criminal masterminds, yeah. that happens. We are at the press conference. Yep. And then it cuts in to Hank and Cristobal watching the press conference together and them sort of breaking bread with each other. And mm-hmm. Cristobal calls Hank polite and says, this is nice. And we can see Hank is just glowing with the <laughs> possibilities of this new partnership. And then we, <laughs> there is this joke that kind of runs throughout the undertone of this scene, which is the captain says something about, Kur- much like the Kurosawa film, Yojimbo. <laughs> And a reporter goes, I'm reporter from wherever, can you spell you Jimbo? <laughs> and then so as we cut around, you can hear this discussion of Kurosawa in the press conference. <laughs> it's so funny. So Jean, then we cut to Jean calling Detective Moss. So she's answering the phone this. in the press conference. And he's calling her from like a Best Buy or something. <laughs> and, you know, basically like flirting with her a bit because they're <laughs> they're safe now right and i love what he says he's like basically you owe me a kick in the balls <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah it's really cute so like they both know like the coast is clear mm-hmm. they can restart this thing now and he's sort of tossing the net out there and seeing if you know she's willing to do it and she seems game yeah so then we've got you know the press conference playing up the i'm just gonna say best buy then we also see the press conference at residuals when Barry goes in to tell Sally he's quitting. And you can still hear them discussing Yojimbo. <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible. It's so good. I know. It's so, it's so good. But that's, that was just something I noticed when I, I've been kind of breaking these scenes down as we go. And I really loved how they used both the press conference and the Kurosawa joke. Yeah. within the press conference to bridge these, like, four scenes. And it's really interesting because, like, if you think about the press conference as sort of the overarching, like, scene or box here. Yeah. And then, but we're checking in with, like, each of the characters while this is happening. And that's, you know, that kind of, like, packages up the season. Like, yeah. we sort of leave off with where everybody is. Like, Jean and Janice are reconciling. Hank and Cristobal are merging their mafias together. And then, you know, Barry's trying to quit class. I mean, I love the way you said earlier, like, they're efficient and economical. And it's, like, tied up so tidily that there's almost an irony to it because it's too tidy. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And it's just, like, it's just it's just genius on so many levels. I, I like, love the way that you explain that. I mean, it is too tidy because at this point we're... By the time we finish with Barry and Sally, we're only 20 minutes into the episode. Yep. So we still have 13 minutes (laughs) of this episode, and, like, you know it's not happily ever after. Yeah, and Barry, the the show, uh, track record of the show is to throw a big twist in at the very end of the episode. That's not, like, you know, out of the realm of possibility for them. Yeah. And uh, another thing, like like you said, that scene is, like, overarching the, um, these other, you know, four sub-scenes. And it's serving as both a scene in and of itself and revealing information, but it is also serving as a device. Yeah. And that's just, like, the kind of layered Bobka genius that this show is. <laughs> it's really clever. I love it. But I'm just so... I'm so impressed by how much goes into this show. Mm. I mean, the fact that you're basically spending, like... You know, some of these scenes they spend more minutes on. Yeah. Right? So we're getting, like, a deeper dive on certain scenes. Some of these scenes are so short. Yep. But everything is very important and gives us pieces that we need. I I think of, like, you go back to the pilot, and they've done this throughout the season, right? There's that scene right at the very end of the pilot where Barry's in the diner. I think the scene is, like, less than 30 seconds. He's in the diner. He orders something. Sees the side. Says he's an actor. In 30 seconds... So much is explained about who he yeah. is and what he wants. And, like, the show just keeps on being economical and amazing Yeah, from beginning to end. I mean, I know for me, like, obviously I'm not a writer in this way, but <laughs> I would feel really wasteful if I was like, 
okay, we're going to have to get everybody together at this bar for, like, a scene that's going to basically be a minute of this show. (laughs) I would just be like, what are we paying everyone? And how long is this going to take? But they, yeah, they don't, obviously, that doesn't matter to the story. Yeah. So (laughs) I think I have producer brain and not writer brain. (laughs) I think you have both. I think you have both. And that is your burden, (laughs) that you have both. You know what I mean? Like, to be one or the other is, is, you know, its own thing. But to to have both is difficult. You got showrunner brain. Yeah, I'll give you that. (laughs) I could run some shows. That's galaxy brain. (laughs) What do we, okay, so what do we think of the use of starting now in this episode? I, well, okay, my opinion is going to be biased by the fact that I've seen the rest of the show and how how it may or may not show up. I think it's great because it is a device to let us continue wanting Barry to make the right choices, even after we've seen him say take so many wrong steps and make so many wrong choices. Mm. I think that without the starting now thing, why would you continue caring about Barry and whether or not he can change his life and be a better person? Yeah. What do you think? I do, I do agree with you. But I also think, like, the fact that it gets used three times <laughs> in this episode with escalating circumstances. Yep. So, like, him, you know, punching Fuchs in the face and taking the money and leaving. And, like, I'm done starting now. Well, that's great. Yeah. Like, you should have done that, like, back when Taylor told you to, frankly. Because yes. now a whole bunch of people are dead and you've murdered Chris. Mm-hmm. So that sucked. Yeah. But then also the next time he says it when he's pushing Fuchs out of the car at the airport is like he's already just killed Goran Pizar and like three more other guys there. Yep. So like more people have died. In his head, he seems to still think that Fuchs is the reason behind it. And he's trying to get that separation from Fuchs. Now Fuchs is the bad guy. Yes. That's what I'm saying. He's like trying to outsource his guilt for it to Fuchs. That that's the reason why all this stuff has gone wrong. When really... Most of the stuff that's gone wrong in the previous two episodes, except for him having to come to save Fuchs, is nothing to do with Fuchs. But we see that in the narrative that he's telling Janice yes. on the dock, which is, you know, I this guy, he made me do a bunch of bad stuff, but, like, that's done now. Yep. You know, that's over with. What, what a ridiculous fantasy, too, to think that because, like, you're turning over another leaf and, like, your life, you know, you're moving forward... You don't get to do that when you are a serial killer. But that's the thing. He's just like, you know, Janice, I've built this house of cards up. It's so good now. You mm-hmm. can't take that away from me. It's it's very, like, self-entitled yep. and self-interested. There's, like, a few moments in the show, and, like, there's more in these later seasons, right? But where you see him... I don't want to say break with reality because that's something very specific, but you see him kind of drift away from reality yeah, a little bit. I agree. And this finale is like the most intense it's been in this season where he's really thinking, I'm going to get away with this. Yeah. So that final starting now where mm-hmm. he has, you know, killed Janice, it's like, you and you think about does the- he honestly think that he's really starting over? Like, every single time that he said starting now in this episode, things have just gotten worse. And the funny thing is, because Hader is such a good and personable actor, I believe him when he says... I believe he really thinks that he (laughs) is, like, wiping the slate clean and today is the day he's going to fix it. Maybe until the last one. And I think, like, when you think about him killing Moss, Mm -hmm. all the lines he's crossing, he's crossing a bunch of new lines. Yeah. It's the first woman he's killed that we know of, right? That we know of, yeah. Yeah. She is a cop. Yeah. And, like, ostensibly he respects authority even though he's a criminal. And the most important thing... The love interest of his mentor. The person... Mentor slash surrogate dad figure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Surrogate dad figure slash Fuchs replacement. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Question mark. Exactly. (laughs) Um, This is where, like, to me, I see him, like, stretching the limits of reality of, like, what could be possible. Because you really think you're going to be able to continue a relationship with Kusuno. One of two things has to be the case. You either believe that you can, and therefore you are uh, not, like, thinking in the realm of, of possibility... Or you are a bad enough person to know that you can get away with it. So I, I hate to just, like, yeah. skip us ahead all the way to the end, but, like, here we are. Yeah. I mean, he says that to Janice, basically, like, you know, as part of trying to talk her out of ruining the situation. Like, yeah. 
you know, your relation, this is going to ruin your relationship with Jean. Like that is a chip that he tries to use to basically convince her. And she says, I can't think about that. Like to Janice, Janice is duty bound to do the right thing, which is to take Barry up to the house, handcuff him and call for backup. Yep. Barry doing the self-interested thing, which is using everything he can to, you know, talk her out of turning him in. Yep. And I think he thinks that Jean will never know. Mm-hmm. And that's why it doesn't bother him so... I mean, it obviously bothers him. Yeah. But I think that's why it doesn't bother him so much, because he thinks, like, this thing that happened, he will not be connected to it. Jean will never know it's him. It won't affect their relationship. And I feel like in his head, with the way his, like, I don't know, his code works, any wrong thing he has to do to cover up the wrong things he had to do before is allowed. Yeah. You know, including lying to to Gusno for the rest of their relationship. And think about it. Like, to me, Chris was so much the tipping point. Yep. Chris was so much the tipping point because it was, like, Barry murdering his future. Yes. And past that point... Even though things are good now, and he's, you know, as close to living that future as he can, if Janice is in the way of that, I just don't... Obviously, he's upset about it in the moment, but, like, code-wise, like, he has no qualms at this point. Yeah, he's... Exactly. His his code, if he had one, is diminished, and he's living outside of it. And I think you're exactly right that Chris is a turning point, like... it's a moment that like i think last episode after he kills chris i'm like where can this show possibly go from here like how are you ever gonna root for barry again what could be worse than him killing chris yes exactly him killing janice yep is the answer (laughs) and like i want to praise the writers both of like last episode um and of course you know this episode but liz sarnoff who wrote last episode barry uh, Barry, <laughs> Bill Hader, um, and and uh, Alec Berg have credited her with her, her contributions to the writing room in getting them to kind of like, these are my words, but like blow up what they thought the story was going to be and go in a different direction, mm. a surprising direction, one that's going to make people, you know. And I know that um, Alec Berg also has that sense of like he wants to take you like seven times in one direction and then hard the other direction, just like on the uh, base mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I, th- I think that, like, just when you think it can get worse, it's going to get worse. <laughs> so just stepping back a little bit from that Doc conversation, which was fucking heartbreaking, by the way. Yeah. Like, Janice was absolutely amazing in that scene. Like, I mean, she is cool and collected, but she has tears in her eyes the entire time because she hates what she, what she's thinking she has to do. Yep. Like, she, this really sucks. And I also wrote in my notes, I said, she has tears in her eyes. Why? Is it because she cares for Barry? Is it because she's humiliated? And I thought Mm. part of that is, like, her gut from the very beginning told her that the class was the key. Yep. And as she went along, you know, and tried to really stick to investigating the class even though everyone's telling her no then it ends up there's all these connections Mm -hmm. and the connections you know ostensibly point to ryan yep and taylor and all that happening but like she always knew in her gut that something was there and she you know suspected barry really hard at Mm -hmm. one point but then she's kind of convinced herself like nope we solved the case and everything's fine And so I think in this moment to find out that she was really right all along has got to feel so fucking bad. I feel like in some ways she's almost on a parallel experience with that with Barry, where she's basically like stepped away from her core beliefs and her core, like what, you know, what her gut's telling her to do to, to pursue this relationship basically. And that buying into what everybody else is buying into as far as the, you know, how the case played out is enabling her to do this. I think you might be right that, like, some of it is humiliation. And also, I think that, like, Barry probably is right when he says that, like, it's going to ruin your relationship with Jean. And I think that she's upset about that, too. 
Yeah, I don't think she, not in that moment though. I don't mm-hmm. think so. I think she's right. She's like, I can't think about that. Like, yeah, for her, like the duty of what she has to do is coming first, and like yeah. all of that will get sorted out after. I um, totally agree. I think she can't think about it, but I think she's already feeling it, even if she oh, can't think sure. about it. Yeah, I mean, you can see yeah. that she there's a lot happening inside of her, but she's just thinking about next steps. Yeah, but like, yeah, she's she's already in grief mode. Yeah. But then just stepping back a little from that dockside conversation, what tipped all of this off was Jean telling them at dinner about Barry's mm-hmm. quote-unquote monologue. And I really loved that scene because Janice plays it so cool. She doesn't even look at Barry. Yeah. And she immediately starts talking to Sally about, like, doing a ride-along and all this stuff. Like, she knows how to not give herself away yep. in that moment. Barry, however, sits there, his jaw locks up, (laughs) and he looks like the most anxious, like, (laughs) rattled person. (laughs) He is not being subtle at all. His eyes start (laughs) twitching around, like, (laughs) like, he gets tense immediately. Yeah. And as, like, Janice is having this conversation with Sally, like, the camera just stays on Barry, and we're just, like, watching him stew in this anxiety. But ultimately, like, even though Janice does not give it away in the moment, you don't even know if she's really paying attention to what Jean said. Yep. Sure enough, at night, we see her sneak downstairs, put the router in the window, and head out to the dock with her laptop. And this is what gets me. And I actually meant to talk about this in episode seven, and mm-hmm. I totally blanked on it. But there is a scene in episode seven where we see her in the police station, and she's on Facebook, and she types in Barry Berkman. And nothing comes up. And she says, like, who doesn't have a Facebook? Right. (laughs) And then, you know, we have this conversation with Chris and Barry in the car in episode seven where Barry's like, we're linked on Facebook. And Chris says, why did you ever Facebook me? Yep. So when Janice takes her laptop out to the dock this time and types Barry Block into Facebook, it's like, you know, ugh. And he, yeah. he had those pictures up of him at Chris's memorial run. Yeah. It's just like, he couldn't be stupider, number Ugh. one. Number two, this just reinforces to me that Facebook is evil. <laughs> 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 but, like, all of this could have been solved yeah. long ago if somebody with, like, half a brain had just thought to Facebook his stage name. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, all of those pieces click together in, in a way that's, like, really devastating for her, you know? Yeah. And I, I almost feel like when she does it, she partly wants the vindication of, like, being right and also probably wants to be wrong so that she can, yeah. you know, but... Reassure herself. Exactly. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I, I wish, I wish, I wish we could get a spinoff, like, like we said a couple episodes <laughs> ago. I would absolutely watch, like you said, Janice Moss, uh, Janice Moss LAPD. <laughs> I hate to, like, keep talking about how this show is made. Yeah. Um, I don't. <laughs> Go for it. But one of the things I loved was when, I mean, we we are with her as she's, like, scrolling through his Facebook and seeing him do, like, Chris's memorial run. We see that his profile picture is him and Sally and, like, his mm-hmm. cover picture is, like, you know, the class doing stuff. And there's always, like, he's being tagged in photos that other people put up. And... As she's going through and realizing he's connected to Chris. Yep. And Chris is connected to Taylor. And she goes back and watches that lipstick camera footage. And we flash back to her saying in the police station, if you knew this guy, you know. You'd recognize him. If this was somebody you'd know, you'd recognize him. And we cut between her saying that then and her remembering that now. And I thought that was really interesting because we don't really do flashback in this show. Yeah. Um, Not yet. Yeah. Yeah, and so I just thought that was interesting that they chose to do it in that moment to, like, show her, like, confidence in that moment of, like, we're going to get this guy. If you know who he is, like, we're going to get him. It's that, but also I think that this goes back to my kind of inkling that she might feel sort of humiliated is because, like, she did know that guy. She knew him all along. Yeah. And, like, she's just now putting those pieces together. Ugh. Heartbreaking (laughs) on so many levels. I'm going to miss her. I know. R.I.P. Janice. I know. It really sucks. It does. I think, like, Chris, that one hurt the most. And then this one is a tie, if not a little bit stingier. I'm I'm more upset with Janice. I think Chris really, like, 
I liked Chris, and Chris was a good guy. Chris also, like, played with fire a bit too much. I was going to say, like, it's not a justification no. at all, but, the you know, when Barry's like, I told you to get out of the car, man, I'm like, yes, he told you to get out of the car. Yeah. Like, when that happens in episode six, you're like, yeah, get out of the car. <laughs> and he doesn't, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Even if, like, you didn't fully know what was <laughs> yeah. going on, if someone looks over at you and is like, get out of the car, you'd be like, okay <laughs> yeah bye yeah exactly like i don't know what's gonna happen but it can't be good <laughs> yeah <laughs> continuing to praise like how the show is made um one of the things that is so cool and, and that helps them be economical is that every scene and like sometimes even like most jokes connect to things in later scenes which connect to things in later episodes. Hmm. So just thinking about, you know, the the Facebook and how that's really like the impetus for this whole thing. And it goes all the way back to episode two. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it's just brilliant. Yeah. I do wonder, like, I mean, I don't know if they like broke a whole season of this. I imagine they probably did maybe. Well, no. I wonder. I'm going to say, you know, that probably did. I mean, I know that's pretty standard now, but then I also think that, like, Alec Berg carries so much clout with HBO that they were probably just like, whatever, <laughs> figure it out, we love you. I just learned that they filmed the pilot, and the HBO let them fill the, film the pilot a second time, um, because there were some oh. things that they wanted to fix with it, basically, like, to oh. change. So they filmed the pilot twice, and I think they filmed the pilot the second time after having broken the season. Okay. I'm not 100% sure, but I think that they had said they'd broken the season. Um, so I'll, I'll look that up and figure out where I saw that because I can't remember. Otherwise, I would cite it right now. But I remember thinking, like, well, that's nice that they let you do it twice. But It's nice. And also, that's dedication to doing good work. Because yes. if someone asked me to do something I'd already done a second time, <laughs> I'd be like, no. And, and like, they, they had to ask HBO to do it because it was, like, you know, gonna it was going to cost money and... I don't even like repeating myself. Yeah. If someone doesn't hear what I say and they say what or huh, I just don't say anything. You missed your chance. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not repeating myself. Yeah. I think that, like, another thing that's interesting is because they wrote seasons three and four back to back, I might be repeating myself right now, actually, but they, when they got to the end of season four, they went back and rewrote some things in season three to align better with season four. Yeah. And, but it's just amazing to me that they've been able to do this from the get-go from season one yeah and they've been so so thoughtful about connecting everything i know it's like almost arrested development level like uh, meta <laughs> yeah like i feel like if you threw out one thing from the show you could connect it to you know something in the scene before something in the scene after mm -hmm. you could connect it between episodes like literally anything is as small as the bobka like yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> okay well Actually, since you said that, I want to talk about Hank a little bit. So when Hank realizes that Goron is going to go to acting class and yeah. kill Barry, he kind of tries to talk him out of it, which is interesting because we've always gotten the impression that, you know, Hank has been sort of impressed with Barry and mm -hmm. respectful of Barry. But, like, it, it's an interesting move to try to, like, dissuade Goron. Like, yeah. And Hank doesn't try to do any kind of emotional plea. He's just like, look, what are the chances that he's going to be there? You know, yeah. like, he's trying to use logic. Like, Barry wouldn't be there, you know, like, but also basically just trying to, like, save Barry. Goron does not respond well to that. You know, he grabs Hank by the shirt collar and, you know, starts basically being like, what's your issue? And says, like, some really mean shit to him. Like, why are you offering everyone submarine sandwich? <laughs> Hank, you can tell, is, like, in that moment, like, I'm, I'm polite, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm just trying to, like, be a nice guy. And Goron sees it as weakness. Yes. He says that. He's like, you stay home and do the dishes with Oksana. Yeah. He says, you are weak. Yep. You know, we will go to acting class and kill Barry, and you will help Oksana with dishes. Yeah. And it's like, to me, I, that conversation was like, I couldn't tell if it was his internalized homophobia towards Hank coming out a little bit by basically saying, like, these things you do to be nice and polite. Are feminine. Are weak. Yeah. They are feminine. Yep. You know, like go do the dishes with Oksana. Yeah. Whoever Oksana is, I don't know. I think that was his wife that we never see. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. 
Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take care of my wife, lady. But, like, what's your take on that? Like, why would he just sort of turn on Hank in that moment and say those things to him? My immediate <laughs> response mm-hmm. is not from, like, a in-the-story thing. It's from, like, a in-the-writer's-room thing where you're, like... You really want Hank to be happy when he dies. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. what can we do to make Goran, like, piss him off? <laughs> so, okay. like, in, in my head, I'm, like, reverse engineering it that way. But well, that I, makes sense. But I think that I think that um, it's partly that and partly, like, that Goran doesn't want to lose face, you know? Like, he's already kind of taken some, some setbacks and, like, losses lately. Yeah. And I think that's part of it. And I also think, wait, this is after, what's his name? Uh, uh, this is after Ruslan does his pillory thing, right? No, it's before. before. Oh, okay, never mind. So they, they're basically leaving the garage right. from them saying, like, Ruslan, go to town, mm-hmm. um, Fuchs, you know, oh, okay, like, yeah. kill him. Because in a way, like, he's kind of, like, losing control over his goons <laughs> a little bit, you know yeah. what I mean? They're always kind of, like, doing their own thing. And so, but yeah, I do think it's probably so that, like, when uh, when Hank, when Barry comes to kill Goran, and he smiles, you're like, oh, okay. Like, that's why. And, you know, when Hank goes out to the garage and sees, like, everyone's dead and Goran's dead, yep. and when he realizes Fuchs is gone, mm-hmm. that's when he knows it's Barry. Yeah. And he does kind of get, like, a little smile. And I think, you know, he's he's really impressed in that moment. He's like, body. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, basically only Barry could do this. Yeah. He admires him on a professional level, yeah. and he wants to be his friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I think, so that's, you know, that's sort of the, like, business side of Hank. Yeah. Like, we don't know that he, even though Goron, you know, when he grabs him by the shirt collar, says, who are you loyal to? And he's like, you. Yeah. I don't think that Hank's loyalty runs really deep with Goron. I think it's just business. Right. And, like... The kind of business where the vibe I get from him is he would be a guy who, like, would clock in at nine and punch out at five. And, like, he has hobbies outside of work. He has friends outside yeah. of work. Like, work is not his identity. I bet he, like, paints but when he's... models of things. Exactly. Like, yeah. But, like, when he's at work, he's going to bring his best because that's who he is as a person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's, like, his vibe. But instead of working in an office, he's whatever he is, a henchman, middle manager. I don't know. Yeah. What is he? Is he a goon? Like, what is the He's like right-hand hierarchy? Man, second in command. Yeah. Like, yeah. I I like that they set up the alignment with, with Cristobal in mm-hmm. the previous episode. So now you're kind of like... Right. And, you and know. This, this is, I think, what annoys me is because I felt like in that moment, Goran was choosing to say a lot of things that he obviously thinks about Hank. Yep. And has just, like, let go and said because yeah. Hank hasn't pissed him off to this point. But he obviously in at least a few ways doesn't think very much of Hank. And then they sort of set Cristobal up as a character that's very much like Hank. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And was like ready to welcome him and receive him and like they're already interested in the same books and I I feel like part of it is also a little bit of a commentary on like workplace culture. Yeah. Because like Hank is a positive guy. He wants to be around other people who are positive. Yep. Yeah. And so it's Cristobal. <laughs> yep. And, like, they, you know, want the people who work for them to be happy. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I'll be very interested to see where that relationship goes in season two. Yes, me too. <laughs> this episode also gives us one of the most gifable Noho Hank moments where he tells Barry to uh, take his money and fly like a bug bunny in Space Jam. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's so, so good. Oh, my God. I love it. Fly like Bug Bunny. I mean, he's he references that twice. <laughs> he's like, you know, in Space Jam. And then <laughs> I, again, it's like one of those things where, like, if Hank does it once and it's funny, they have Hank do it twice. <laughs> I, I respect that. <laughs> I do, too. Yeah. Give me more. <laughs> we are actually seeing, I think, more of Hank in these, like, last couple episodes of the season. Yes, um, definitely. Yeah. But I think, you know, that's kind of setting up, like, Goron's dead now, and we see Hank sort of ascend and partner with Cristobal, so I think maybe they were giving us a little more Hank so we got to know him a little bit better before this happens. It's also funny, like, how a few episodes ago we were talking about Hank's style and how he kind of, like, looks like he works like a T-Mobile or, like you said, a GNC. (laughs) And uh, and Alec Berg has also are so tight. <laughs> I know, right? Alec Berg has said that like he wanted his like personality to be kind of like 
like a really helpful guy who works at the Apple store, you know? <laughs> um, and they basically nailed that. Yeah. He's like I, retail helpful. I also love too, like his little run. So like when you see him get off the phone with Barry and then he like <laughs> trots up the stairs in his little loafers. Oh my God. It just kills me. <laughs> oh, I love it. I'm, I'm so psyched for season two. Cause like without spoilers, there's a lot more Hank. Yes. And yeah. we're all grateful for that. <laughs> we love us some Hank. Now, was Hank supposed to die in the show? I think so. Like you were saying before, yeah. like we do our homework, but um, we also just watch a lot of this stuff for fun. <laughs> yeah. So I, a while back I had watched an interview with Anthony Kerrigan. I think it was on Colbert. And he he talked about basically how like Hank was not meant to be like a regular character, but yeah. they just liked him. And so... I mean, and they've gone through like a lot of henchmen at this point. So yeah. like according to like that kind of churn, he would have been gone mm-hmm. by now, but... Yep. He is indispensable. Yeah, he just has that magical something that... <laughs> He's so good. Yeah. Oh, I love him. I also think that Goron going to shoot Fuchs. So, so like, you know, he's obviously displeased with Ruslan, <laughs> like, building stocks instead of cutting Fuchs with a skill saw. <laughs> and him going to shoot Fuchs and ending up shot is amazing. Yes. Like, that's such a good reveal. I think that, like, there is... In a way, Goron is kind of like Hank's father figure, but like the overbearing, disapproving father. Yeah. And Fuchs is Barry's manipulative father. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's kind of like poetic that Barry ends up killing Hank's Maybe Hank boss will kill father. Fuchs someday. That'd be great. That would be really like nice symmetry. <sighs> I actually, you know, I don't want Fuchs to die. I want him to go to prison for like a really long time. That would be great. Yeah. But the thing is, you know he'll will and deal in prison. That's why I'm like, maybe the best place for him is six feet in the ground. I don't know. You think he'd be defeated? I would just hope some somebody would punch him in the face in prison. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's going to meet a lot of tailors in prison. That's true. And they just punch him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what do you think about... This has been kind of running sort of all season, but what do you think about this whole Bolivians are short joke? I feel like it's, like, a little, like, I feel uncomfortable about it. Like, it feels, like, a little racial. I mean, it's not something, like, I'm not aware of Bolivians being shorter than other people. Is that true? I have no idea. It's it's not on, like, the CIA world fact list that I know of. <laughs> I, I, and I don't, honestly can't speak to Bolivia at all. I don't I know. know anything about them. <laughs> But yeah, I definitely, I didn't know that that was like a thing. And I yeah. also don't know if it is a thing. Maybe it's a thing like the Chechens where they're like, you know what? We're just doing this thing. Yep. We're just going to do it. We're just going to stick with this bit. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, cause you know, they've subtly reinforced it like all along. And yeah. then when it gets to the point where they're in the garage sort of <laughs> trying to understand the trajectory of the bullets and the officer says like, he was either crouching down or very short. And Janice is like, Bolivian. <laughs> oh it's weird oh they're just like they keep reusing that joke but it's pretty funny so funny so interestingly sally asks barry to be in a play called the front page which i actually thought was made up because when they're running lines in the hammock you know barry keeps saying this line where it's like you know listen duffy (laughs) Uh, cut the front page out. We're going to have Johnson redo it or something like that. And, you know, we know from previous episodes that, like, his childhood best friend is named Duffy. Yeah. So I thought, oh, they just made up this play. But it's actually a real play, although there isn't a character named Duffy. So they did they I threw think, him in there. throw that in there as a nod. <laughs> but when you see the poster that's in Jean's lake house living room, it's, like, very sort of slapsticky looking. <laughs> like... It's sort of Norman Rockwell-ish, but, like, it looks very comedic. Yeah. Yeah, the synopsis of the play does not seem very comedic. Okay, what <laughs> what is it about? <laughs> it's kind of long, but basically, like, Wikipedia says the play's single set, so it's a bottle episode, <laughs> is the dingy press room of Chicago's criminal courts building overlooking the gallows behind the Cook County Jail. Ooh. So, basically, like, it's a bunch of reporters hanging out. LOL, hanging out, <laughs> waiting for a hanging to ah. happen. The hanging of a white man, 
uh, and communist revolutionary convicted of killing a black policeman. And anyway, it's just like a bunch of... And it's a comedy? No, it's not a comedy. It says it's a comedy. What? Yeah, it says genre comedy. Is that wrong? Oh my god. I don't know. This seems really bleak. <laughs> Maybe they okay. picked it on purpose. Maybe because it is a comedy. They're like, Barry is a comedy. Wink, wink. <laughs> I don't see how this could be a comedy. Uh, I mean, it's yeah, like... I don't, I, there's literally nothing funny about this situation. No. Like, the <laughs> man escapes from jail... He says that he shot the police officer by accident. (laughs) It's like, you know, political intrigue. I mean, okay, I guess it's a comedy, but it doesn't seem very funny to me. This is funny. It says, the play popularized the image of American journalists as fast-talking, wise-cracking, hard-boiled types. I did not know that was where that came from. I thought that came from Aaron Sorkin. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's just, that's so funny. Maybe that's the joke. Maybe the joke is that it's a comedy, but it's not funny. <laughs> yeah. What's the funny part? Was it, maybe it was funny in 1928 when it premiered. <laughs> it's I... a real knee slapper there. <laughs> yeah. What the heck? Oh. All right. Great. <laughs> okay. So the last big thing I wanted to talk about this episode was the conversation between Barry and Sally at mm-hmm. residuals when Barry's trying to quit acting class. She tells him something that, you know, I think had we known this fact, like, earlier in the season, it might have colored how we perceive her character a little more. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I'm not saying that's, like, a good thing or a bad thing. It's just I think it would have made people look at her character differently, which I think is kind of interesting that they decided to save it to the end or came up with it at the end. But basically, she tells Barry that she got married out of high school when she was, like, 18. Mm-hmm. And her, her husband was, quote, a real piece of work um, and that he was physically abusive to her, which you can see Barry kind of immediately gets sort of protective about. Yep. Even though they don't have a relationship any longer and haven't since, like, what, episode three? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that time they had sex once. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, you know, Sally, for the last, like, episode in a smidge, has been really, like, praising Barry and, like, really up Barry's ass. And she's like, you know, you're a real actor, Barry. And I don't say that to a lot of people. It's like, (laughs) yeah, I bet you don't. You know, she keeps trying to tell him, like, the emotions that you use in your work, it gets easier, it gets easier to go there. Um, And, you know, basically she's telling him, like, this past pain and trauma she had she uses that in her work I mean she's saying that but like we didn't actually see that yeah even in telling Barry about it she seems really like checked out from it yep but she's she's like plus I don't have health care and it's cheaper than therapy which is like (laughs) sad commentary (laughs) in the state of American health (laughs) care yep (laughs) but then she says to him like you know whatever kind of got you to that place like you can tell me about it and he's just like thanks and then she gets like sort of affronted that he doesn't tell her and she's like well I just told you about my marriage you know yeah and when she realizes he's not going to she like recovers and she's like it's okay it's like you know or it's early basically like yeah and I I wrote down I just had this like note and I said she wants to steal his pain that's literally like you said she's like a succubus yeah It's like she wanted to hear what was so heartbreaking for him that he was able to get to that place in his acting. I almost feel like she wants to know, like, partly to siphon off of it, but also so she can do it herself. You know what I mean? Like, if he said, like, oh, I just, like, went and did, like, a whole bunch of heroin in an alley, like, she'd be like, maybe I should try that, you know? (laughs) I know. I really think she would. (laughs) Yeah, I so I think, like, all of her praise and telling yep. Barry he's a real actor, she's just trying to keep him attached yep. to her. Yep. So I she agree. can continue to feed off of him and use him and access whatever his process is to fuel her own success. It's so funny, too, to remember, like, that throughout the season, anytime Barry gets praise for his acting... He is not acting. (laughs) So, like, 
this like perception that he's a good actor is like he's actually not like it's just when circumstances collide to make him be able to portray the emotion yeah even like in episode seven where he has that dream of what he thinks is good acting it's bad oh it's so funny and i'm so glad they gave us that like vision so that it's a reminder like no like barry is not like an artist yet like he's just fumbling his way through it you know (laughs) and it's so fun to watch bill Hader, who is an artist and is like oh like what an actor like i feel like he would have been a massive massive movie star earlier if i don't know i don't i don't know he was in train wreck come on oh yeah no like (laughs) he was in train wreck but then he was in like it and stuff but i Mm -hmm. feel like i feel like he should have been a movie star like 10 years ago and people are just now realizing how versatile he is. Well, I mean, SNL really, like, puts you in the comedy box. Yeah, Not many true. people break out of that. Yeah. One thing that I thought was really weird in this episode is when Barry is dropping Fuchs off at the airport. And, you know, like, anytime you go to the airport, you can't, like, pull up outside. The yeah. cops are, like, all over your ass. Which is so weird to me. Like, just give someone five seconds to get <laughs> yeah. out of the fucking car. Thanks. But, you know, the cop comes up to the car and he's like, move it along, fellas, you know. And Fuchs is arguing with Barry and Barry's just like, take all the money. Get out. Like, I'm done with you. Yeah. And then the cop actually, like, crouches, like, comes back, kind of crouches down in the car to be, like, eye level with both of them. And is like, you know, what's going on here? And doesn't say anything about how bloody Fuchs's face is. He has blood on both sides of his face. It's, like, coming out of the side of his mouth. Like, he's covered in blood. He's clearly been beaten about the face. And is getting dropped off at the airport, like, disheveled with a sack of money. And this cop says nothing. The problem is them parking there. Not that this man is covered in blood with a sack full of money. That's actually a great joke, and I somehow missed it. <laughs> it's, like, it a really good joke. It drives me nuts. Uh, I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> do you think there's something else in this picture here that you could be worried about? I mean, airports are all like, see something, say something, don't let anybody near your luggage. <laughs> but they're like, a bleeding man with a sack full of cash and no airline ticket? Great. <laughs> Come on down. <laughs> oh, that's so true. I did not realize that. So, the time jump, right? After the time jump, mm-hmm. we are at the cabin. And there is, like, a visual difference between the first two-thirds of the episode and the last third. Yeah. And it's, like, brighter and more saturated. And it mimics that fantasy treatment or style Yeah. Um, from the whole previous season, which was, like, a really smart and sneaky choice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because you're there, like, as it goes on, you're not sure... If it's another one of Barry's fantasies, or if it's actually happening. Especially, I think, because when we see them in the hammock, like, their relationship feels so solid. Yes. In a way that we didn't see at all before. Yep. So, yeah, you're right. It is like, is this real? Yeah, (laughs) it seems too good to be true, Mm -hmm. and it is. (laughs) Yeah. And, And it's not been true the whole time, because Barry's been deceiving everybody. Yeah. But, yeah, I thought that was, like, a really clever choice. Also, we have to assume that however much time has passed, like, Fuchs is gone. Yep. Like, Fuchs has stayed away from Barry. And he's been having success with the acting thing, and now he's, like, in this play. It's got a poster. Yeah. Like, these are all the things that you would have expected from one of his fantasies before, and then here it is actually happening. I have a lot of, like, really basic questions, though, like, where is Barry living now? Because before, he was living in a hotel with Fuchs. But, like, Fuchs has all the money. I think it's also, like, because it's in this, this like, separate location, it, it adds to that sense of, like, disorientation and, like, mm-hmm. well, like, what what about all the other loose ends? Yeah. Yeah. Because... Yeah. Like, what is Barry doing for money now? Exactly. Does he actually have to sell auto parts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is he still using uh, money from, like, a sack? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We don't know. I, I also, this is neither here nor there, but I'm also curious how he's been laundering his money before, like, from previous hits. I think that hasn't been a concern because Fuchs has just been safekeeping it, in uh, air quotes. Yep. So, I don't know. And 
maybe Fuchs was laundering it. He doesn't strike me as super savvy. No, he doesn't. But. All right, so body count for this episode. I think we're looking at five. So we have Ruslan mm-hmm. and Goran, and then there were also two henchmen in the garage, and then we have Janice. Rest in peace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> R.I.P. Um, Janice Moss. Yeah. And, you know, Goran was a dad. Yeah. <laughs> and now Oksana's a single mom. Good for her, man. She can bone all the Ryan Madisons <laughs> that she wants. <laughs> not the Ryan Madison. Yeah, not that He's one. He's indisposed. Just another guy from the Midwest <laughs> yeah. that changes his name to... <laughs> so, Reed, do you have a most evil guy for this episode? Oh, jeebus. Oh, jeebus. It's Barry again for me. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think it's Barry for me because of Moss. I can't make him the most evil guy every time he kills someone that I like. I mean, the point of the show is kind of that he's the most evil guy. Yeah. And, like, he's just getting more evil as it goes on. So <laughs> it would stand to reason that he'd be the most evil guy a little more often. Who's your most evil guy? Um, Mine is actually Fuchs. Okay. Solely for him going to Goron's and oh. saying, Barry's alive. I can give him to you. That's fucking cold, man. That That is ice cold. You're like, right. I... Barry killing Janice is unforgivably shitty. Yeah. But, like, Barry feels like he was forced into that situation without a choice. Yep. Fuchs freely chose to just sell out the person that last episode he said he raised like a son. Yep. So, fuck that guy. Yeah. He went out of his way to do that. Yep. Yep. You know what? You're right. (laughs) I think he might be ever so slightly more evil. (laughs) It was really, really cold, so fuck Fuchs, he's my most evil guy. He's the fucking worst, and he's like a cockroach. Well, that will do it for, wow, the final season episode one. of season one! Oh my goodness. Oh my god. I hope you guys have enjoyed going through the season with us. If you have enjoyed it, you can find us on social media, both Twitter and Instagram at mostevilguy, or send us an email at mostevilguy at gmail.com. Yeah, and if you like what you hear, leave us a review it helps our podcast get in front of more people who are into berry yeah and we actually have some pretty good reviews so yeah i'm very happy about that heck yeah man yeah thanks guys and gals and whoever else <laughs> <laughs> until season two we'll leave you the quote from detective janice moss lapd rap janice apocalypse now is ride of the valkyries not flight of the bumblebee <laughs> And scene. scene. <laughs> <laughs>